All right, well, welcome to Downtown Community Church. Hey, if it's your first time here, uh, my name is Ben, and I am uh, the pastor here at Downtown Community Church. Repetitive about our name, but nonetheless, um, we're glad that you're here. And uh, man, especially for you guys, five o'clock service, you are glad that you didn't come to 915 because Noah almost showed up. It was a torrential downpour. Um, and uh, anyways, you're here. <laughs> Church jokes. Anyways, um, Hey, we're in a second part of a three-part series called Mountains and Valleys, and it's studying this guy named Elijah. Um, if you're not familiar with Elijah, then I can catch up to speed on it. But Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. And I know, um, especially when it comes to Old Testament, many of us aren't as familiar, especially prophets in the Old Testament, because we hear prophet, and, and you know, it just kind of gets a little bit weird and a little bit spooky and a little bit mysterious, because you hear the word prophet, and you think about some guy talking about the end of times and the end of days, and it's like, holy cow, how does anybody even make sense of any of the stuff that they talk about in the language? But what's interesting interesting is more often than not a prophet in the old testament wasn't someone who talked about the end of the world more often what happened in the old testament was god would speak to the nation or to the group of people by a prophet um that is to say how God speaks to us now is primarily through his word. How he spoke before Jesus showed up was primarily through prophets. And so people wouldn't necessarily read the Bible as much. They would read the law to a degree. But for the most part, what they would do is there would be a prophet that would say something regarding what was happening in the nation. So the nation would start to go off course and not follow God. And the prophet would say, basically, hey, stop. Or this is going to happen. Hey, stop. Or that's going to happen. Or, hey, this is about to happen. If you don't stop, so you should probably stop or start or whatever it was that was the corrective kind of action or behavior that the nation needed to go through. And so Elijah was similar because there was a fella um, by the name of Ahab who was the king at the time. There was a sequence and a progression of kings that was the king of the nation of Israel. And Israel, by the way, was essentially kind of like the God squad of the Old Testament. They were God's chosen nation that were supposed to be a light to the entire world, similar to what Christians and the church are supposed to be in modern day. Well, to them, um, they were ruled by a king who was supposed to be kind of the king and the most spiritual guy around or one of the most spiritual people around. They did not have the separation of church and state that we have today, but the king would lead the nation. And as he would lead the nation, Ahab, in a progression of progressively worse kings, was the worst king to date. He was so bad that after three and a half years of no rain, as we're going to read today, um, he didn't take any sense of responsibility that perhaps he had done something wrong. He just basically looked at everybody else and said, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. And so Elijah is going to show up on the scene. And I'm going to paint a little bit of a background of what's happened at this point. But Elijah is going to show up on the scene. And we're going to read a story today that I think for some of us is going to be very exciting and very fun. And for some of us, it's going to be very frustrating. And here's why. God is going to do something in the story that we're going to read today that is so extraordinary. For some of us, it's going to encourage us because God is real and God is there and God can do extraordinary things. And for some of us, it's going to frustrate us because you've been praying for God to do something. You've been praying for God to show up. You've been praying for God to work in such a way. In fact, perhaps you've been praying for God to work through you in such a way that God is going to display his glory and other people would come to know him because of what he's done through you. And it hasn't happened. And it's frustrating because you read it in the Bible and it just seems like these people pray and God just shows up in these supernatural, all of a sudden the metaphysical becomes the physical and the world changes. And you pray and pray and pray and hope and hope and hope. And you want God, something to do, God to do something through you. 
or through your ministry or through your group or through your you know, job or at your workplace or where you live or in your fraternity, in your sorority, in your family, whatever it is that you want God to show up with and you pray and you pray and you pray and nothing seems to happen. But what we're gonna talk about today is how Elijah got to the point where he was on the mount that he was. If you got your Bible, open up to 1 Kings chapter 18 and read a couple sentences and then paint the picture of what's going on. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Now, what's happening up to this point is God told Elijah, Elijah, I want you to go in front of Ahab, and I want you to tell him that it's not going to rain. So Elijah, sure enough, goes in front of Ahab, tells Ahab, Ahab, you know, it's not going to rain and, you know, until I say it's going to rain again, you know, and not like a, you know, he's having a wonderful time because vanilla ice just showed up on the stage. Um, but more of a, you know, it's not going to rain, big drought, no rain, no dew, nothing on the ground until I say it it's again. And we don't know what Ahab's um, response was, but Micah had a great point that at one point, at some point he had to be like, this dude's like, he's, this dude's a joke. Like it's not going to rain until you say so. Who do you think you are? God? He's like, no, I'm speaking on behalf of, okay, we get it. We get it. You're spiritual. But at what point was it like two days in where he's like, you know, it hadn't rained in a couple of days. That's kind of normal. You know, a week in, was it like, okay, well, it hadn't rained in a week. But that's relatively, you know, at, at about a month, you're starting to get concerned. Like, hey, did anybody get his phone number? You know, anybody got an email address for that dude that walked in that one day and said a couple things. Then he said, I'm out, but I'm not going to, you know, you're not going to see rain again. Like years passed by. And as this happened, God told Elijah, Elijah, I want you to go to this stream and I'm going to feed, and I'm going to, and you're going to drink water from the stream. And then I want you to go, and I want you to eat. But the way that you're going to eat is these ravens are going to drop down some food for you, basically. For us, or at least maybe not us. Let me project on you for a second. I've got a three-year-old daughter um, who loves Disney. So anytime I hear of animals doing something, I think that the way that that works itself out is very Disney-esque. You know, anybody ever seen like Cinderella? And you know, or you know, really, you know, the, the fairy godmother and bippity boppity. <laughs> That's not it. Anyway, um, you have this kind of idea of maybe like it's Ariel and the Little Mermaid and the fish are like sp- you know, spouting this stuff up. But no, ravens in their day were the, were the, were the dirtiest of or what would, could have been considered some of the dirty birds of, of their day that you wouldn't be able to eat with what was going on. You wouldn't be able to, in a, in a clean way, in a religious way, eat the food that the ravens had dropped. So it, this was almost sinful in terms of its level of degradingness. Well, after a while, the brook dries up. God says, okay, Elijah, next I want you to go to this widow's house. He goes to this widow's house. The widow is so poor and destitute that she says, after Elijah goes to him and says, you know, give me a little bit of food, give me a little bit of bread, give me a little bit of water. And she says, look, I am about to go cook our last little bit of food, drink our last little bit of water, and then me and my son, we are headed to die. (laughs) Which is not the greeting that you want when you show up to somebody's house. But Elijah says, don't worry. You're going to continue to have food. You're going to continue to have oil and flour. And you're going to continue to have water until rain comes back on this earth. And you're not going to die. At one point, in fact, it's interesting. You should read this. It gets so bad that her son gets sick. And her son dies. And she looks at Elijah and said, if you wouldn't have showed up, my son wouldn't have died. To which I would be sarcastic and say, I don't know if you remember when you first showed up or when I first showed up, you actually said you were going to die. So net, net, you got about an extra 12 months. So you're welcome, by the way. But I digress. So as we pick up in chapter 18 
Elijah has been away for about three and a half years. Three and a half years. The culture, the economic engines that drive this company, our country, are decimated. There is no agriculture. There is almost no livestock left at this point. Everything that made a country powerful was no longer in existence. And then God says to Elijah, go back to the king. Picks it up in verse 2. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. And now the famine was so severe in Samaria. And Ahab called to Obadiah. So Obadiah enters the story. Obadiah, by the way, if you ever read the Bible, there's, there's like 13, I think legitimately 12 or 13 Obadiahs in the Old Testament. So that's like calling somebody like Bob, okay? It's not necessarily significant. And, he, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household, parenthetical statement. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel, who was the queen, cut off the prophets of the Lord, and this isn't a uh, prepubescent, you know, passive aggressive, I'm just cutting you off. I'm not texting you anymore. This was like, Killed, took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So this was so bad that the king actually gets to the point where he is going to go out looking because he sent all his people out. He says, you know, I have to do some of this myself. So they split up. Verse seven. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him, and Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, it is you, my Lord, Elijah. And he answered him. Now, this is, this is interesting. This is the part where I kind of like read between the lines in a story, because you know how it is when you're going to have a confrontational conversation with somebody. You know how it is when you, you, you've got in your mind what you're about to say when they're about to say what they're about to say and you're going to go and you're going to say your thing. So Elijah has probably been rehearsing this and all of a sudden he sees Obadiah. Obadiah recognizes him. Obadiah you know, acknowledges him. He says, it is you, my Lord Elijah. And he being Elijah answered to him, it is I. Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. I don't know if he had his hands on his hips, but if he didn't, major swing and miss, all right? Like he for sure should have been like, you know, I think he should have led with behold, you know? That should have been on the, on the very front end of, of what he said. And so we don't know how, you know, Elijah thought this was gonna go over because every time you got in your mind, you think that they're gonna be like, oh my gosh, it's Elijah. He said, behold, hands on the hips. That was so fantastic. And he said, this is his response, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me. In other words, how have I sinned that you're, you're going to get me killed? He, Elijah's like, maybe, maybe you didn't get the behold part. You know, let me, let me run that back again. He said, no, you don't understand. Here, here's what Elijah missed. Elijah, as he was in the valley, Elijah, as he was with the widow, Elijah did not realize how extraordinarily tense, tense this made the country. He didn't realize how extraordinarily uh, destructive this began to all the people around probably people had died at this point certainly livestock had died certainly the entire economy of the country had fallen apart and so he looks at him and says mate are you kidding me you think i'm just gonna walk back to the king without you there and tell him that i found you and you think that's gonna go well for me let me let me run this to you elijah As the Lord our God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. 
And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord. He kind of mocks him. Behold, Elijah is here. Right, buddy. Verse 12. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. And I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab, he cannot find you. He will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Now, I love how he says this. Because this is how you know um, Obadiah is getting real. He's like a, he's like a person. Sometimes reading the, read the Bible as if it's like these you know, characters that just these made up scripts type of thing. But Obadiah is like, man, come on. I've seen this before. I, I, I know how the world works. God's called you one minute and then he's called you somewhere else another minute. You know, this is like the, 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 the guy or the girl who sees, you know, they're dating somebody and they say, oh yeah, you know, I, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then like day, you know, week three or maybe hopefully don't say I love you before week three, but nonetheless, you know, perhaps you're in that boat and then, you know, it's all of a sudden, you know, God's calling me to break up with you because God's calling me to be single. And then she's cute. So I'm like, oh man, God called me out of singleness all of a sudden. Like, I don't know what happened. So Obadiah said, man, I know how this works. And God's going to call you somewhere else because you're probably going to get scared. And so let me just tell you, I, in fact, am a God follower. Tells him his resume. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say to the Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he will kill me. And Elijah said... As the Lord of hosts lives, behold, whom I stand, I will surely so show myself to him today. Now, this is where sometimes I wish the Bible would give a little bit more dialogue. Because I'm kind of like leaving this story like this is like impossible. But it just says in verse 16, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. It's like, you know, I'm going to die. This is never going to happen. And he's like, no, trust me. He's like, okay, I'm in. You know, oh, I'll go talk to him. But nonetheless, he goes and he talks to King Ahab. He tells King Ahab, Ahab, I got to tell you, man, it's about to happen. Elijah's here. He's showing up today. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, verse 17, is it you, you troubler of Israel? I want you to think about that for a second. How would you respond? How would you respond if someone had come to you and said, you know what, you're doing something wrong and you need to stop it. And God's told me that you need to stop it. God's told me that you are very influential and you need to stop. You need to change your direction. And it's not going to rain again till I say so because God has something that he wants to show to you. And three and a half years later, I think there would have been some resolution towards responsibility that, that perhaps Ahab had. But Ahab was so far from the Lord, he just looks at Elijah and says, that's you who's making all this trouble. To which Elijah responds to him, the obvious. I haven't troubled Israel, but you have. In your father's house. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, those were the false gods that they would worship as opposed to God. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. In the 450 prophets of Baal, in the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. In other words, get all of your prophets together. And I want everybody to show up at Mount Carmel because we're about to have a little showdown. 
Now, this is the thing that like legends are made of, what's about to happen. This is about to be this tense, tense scene. Three and a half years, hasn't rained. You know, 900 or 850 prophets from this one group show up and it's just my man Elijah on the other side. Verse 20, so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go on limping? Between two different opinions. Now, I love what Elijah's about to end this with. But he says, you know, entire nation. Well, I've got your attention. How long are you going to go back and forth? How long are you going to follow one and then follow the other? You're going to follow God, then you're going to follow Baal. You're going to follow God, then you're going to follow Baal. You're going to follow God, then you're going to follow Baal. You're just jumping back and forth between these two things. And you've got two feet in two different worlds. Now, we don't worship Baal, but we worship a lot of other things besides God. We worship success. We worship comfort. We worship popularity. We worship acceptance. We worship other people's approval. We worship provision. We worship so many different things. And I'm not saying that Success is bad. I'm not saying that provision is terrible. But the problem is, we prioritize those above God. And so Elijah looks at the nation and says, hey, you're you're, you're trying to worship these two different things. And he says it very straightforward. And if the Lord is God, then follow him. In other words, hey, hey, you're adults. You get it. If the Lord is God... You follow him. If Baal is God, you follow him. But come to a decision and come to a conclusion and then just follow through on it. You decide for yourself. If the Lord is God, you follow him. If Baal is God, it's follow him. And he, looking at the nation, knew that they were a little bit undecided because this is what their response was. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said, okay, I... Even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Verse 23. So let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on wood, but put no fire on it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on wood and put fire and, and put no fire on it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. I have no clue why they answered that way. Like... Man, wonderful diction, bud. You know, the way that your lexicon was just super impressive. So, you know, well well spoken. Like, not we agree. Nonetheless, they agreed. And so the the, the tension mounts as it goes forward. Pick it up at verse 26. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and they called upon the name of Baal and from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. This is how I know me and Elijah would have gotten along. Probably would have called him Eli. Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, which is just like an interesting way of saying that he's in deep thought, or he's relieving himself. (laughs) Elijah, that's just, that's disrespectful, man. Like, He's saying, hey, either, either he's in deep thought, man, maybe he's in the bathroom, I don't know. Or he's on a journey. Or perhaps he is asleep. 
and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves, after, as was their customs, with swords and lances until blood gushed upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of, of oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. Now here's what's about to happen. Elijah is about to literally rain down fire from heaven to consume this bowl. It is about to be one of the most epic scenes in all of scripture. But here is the problem of how we read into it and internalize what's about to happen. When we see what happens with Elijah in the next scene, we see it as, holy cow, this incredible thing happened with Elijah. I wish something like that would happen with and through me. But here's what we don't see. Here's what we forget about. We forget about so much of what happened in chapter 17. You see, God first called Elijah to go to Ahab to say something a little bit controversial. And then he called him next to go to this valley. And in the valley, day after day, week after week, month after month, over a year, Elijah spent in this valley, eating from this book, brook, just having these birds drop some food down on him every day. And that would be the only thing that he ate. Elijah, every day, was dependent on God. Throughout his process in the valley, God was teaching Elijah dependency on him and obedience to him. He was teaching him dependency, he was teaching him obedience, and he was teaching him patience. And so then it dries up, and, God, and Elijah says, God, what do you have next for me? God, God says, Elijah, I want you to go to this widow. He goes to this widow, and he says, you know, hey, can you get me some, some food and some meat? God sent me here. She says, well, actually, we're about to go die, so no. And he says, don't worry. I've been depending on God for a while, and now God has brought me here, and I want us to depend on God together. And daily, God would provide. Daily, he would be obedient. Daily, he would learn dependency, 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 until the point where one day the kid dies and she says, if it wasn't for you, he wouldn't have died. Elijah goes, takes him to the upper room and in an interesting situation, he lays on top of him three different times, prays for him and God brings him back to life. So when Elijah gets to the mountain, it's three and a half years into the most dependent situation to a point where we will probably never face. We will never understand. We will never be at the point. In fact, this would be crazy if God called you for years to go live by a stream and be fed by animals. There's dependency and obedience that's driven. And here's why I say that. Because as we're about to read what we're about to read, it's easy to think that, oh man, so God just was, just called Elijah and Elijah's, Elijah was this special dude. No, 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 no. Elijah just had dependency on God. And here's, what, here's why I say that. We want the mountaintop experience without learning dependency in the process. We say, God, I know that I should prioritize time with you. I know I should prioritize time in your word. But God, I'm busy. God, I know I should prioritize time with you. I know I should prioritize time in prayer. But God, I have a lot going on right now. It's like, yeah. Well, 
If we don't depend on God in the everyday and the regular, then how in the world would God give us this mammoth work and thing to do? Because it would crush us. We would become so self-dependent by the weight and the magnitude. I mean, Elijah has the entire nation around him. I want you to, want you to see how Elijah sets this thing up in the prayer that he prays. It just tells you, and it, it talks about, and it speaks to his level of dependency on God. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. The people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took the 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came. Now, this was kind of how the, the whole Israel got its start, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench about it. Going on to verse 33, he put wood in order and cut the bulls in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill your jars with water and pour on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it, which wouldn't be significant except for he just poured out gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons of water in a place where it hasn't rained for three and a half years. (laughs) Elijah, this better work. Or ain't nobody making it out of here. He says, yep, second time. Yep, third time. Keep it coming. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench. Now granted, the king, they were so desperate for water, the king himself had gone out starting to look for a place that just had a little bit of grass where they could save a little bit of a livestock. And at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and I have done all of these things at your word. In other words, he says, God, I'm not doing this to validate you to me. I already know that you're there. I already know that you're real. I want everybody to see you. And I love the honesty of this next verse. Because in it, we oftentimes, as we read the scriptures, what we see is that he already knew what was going to happen. He already knew that fire was going to come down. He already knew this was going to, you know, how how, how, the rest of chapter 18 was going to go out and how, you know, and play out into verse chapter 19. But what happens in the next verse is way too honest for that. He says, so answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know you, O Lord. And that you have turned their hearts back. In other words, and God, I really hope you show up. Because to him, the end wasn't written. He says, you know, God, I want this to happen. God, perhaps, you know, that, that, that perhaps I shouldn't have made fun of them because now I'm, I'm going to look like a jerk. You know, perhaps, perhaps I shouldn't have said the third thing. Well, but God, God, would you please answer me. And the reason why Elijah could do that with so much confidence is because of the obedience through the process, was because of the dependency through the process. This was not an outlier in the life of Elijah. This was the next step of dependency for Elijah. For most of us, We want God to do something so extraordinary through us. 
We want God to work in such a way, move in such a way, break down walls in such a way. We want people to come to know him in so much of a way that we just pray and we pray and we hope and we hope and we hope and we hope and we hope. But we miss the daily dependency on God. Because we're busy. And frankly, for most of us, for a lot of us, it's because we're too busy worshiping two different gods, whatever God of this world it is, but at the same time keeping our foot with the God of the Bible. So Elijah says, God, would you just please do this and answer me? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. That's what we want. That's what we hope for. That's what we pray for. Let me ask you this. In what ways do you have the opportunity to be dependent on God but instead depend on yourself? In what ways do you have the opportunity to depend on God, but instead depend on your friend? In what ways do you have the opportunity to depend on God, but then depend on everything else? And I'm not saying in a way that you just say, I'm never going to listen to anybody, I'm never going to talk to anybody, it's just going to be me and God. No, I think God provides those things for us. But I think we shirk our responsibility and dependency and obedience all the time. And then we wonder why God hasn't done anything through us. It's like, come on. The weight of the dependency on God when he is on the mount, when the nation is around with 850 prophets of this other dude, with the king who wants to kill him at stake, if he had not created a pattern of dependent, 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 obedient, obedient, obedient. He would have been crushed by the weight of the expectation and been self-reliant. Now, here's, here's what's fascinating. If you're in here and you're struggling with, you know, faith in Jesus and Christianity and you're trying to figure this whole thing out, as you wrestle with the idea of God, as you wrestle with the idea of Jesus, isn't this true? That part of the reason that you have such a difficulty with faith isn't necessarily always because of God, Jesus, and the Bible. But isn't it because you have seen Christians who took the name Christian and title, but as you pulled back the curtain and you saw behind it and you looked at what was on stage in their life, you saw nothing like Christianity. You saw nothing like Jesus. And you looked and you saw, you saw someone who had the title, Israel, Christian, but who was not dependent on God in the everyday ebb and flow of their life. But then again, perhaps you've met one person or two people. Maybe you're here with them today at church and that's the only reason you came to church because you have one person that you actually, the closer that you got in, the more that you saw behind the curtain, the more They weren't perfect. But the more you saw 
dependence on God. The more you saw obedience, the more you were just kind of magnetized to this person. And in fact, lots of people were, and you can't explain why you couldn't articulate it. You wouldn't say on the Mount, you know, Mount Carmel and the whole nation wouldn't say, well spoken. But there's something about that person that which you, when you, there's just something as you pull back the curtain, you are drawn to want to be like that. Here's my hope and my prayer for you that you simply meet a Christian who's actually a Christian. I hope that you meet a Christian who's actually a Christian. I hope you meet a Christian who is not perfect, but they are living because they have declared that they are sinful, that they need Jesus, that God has come and died for them, that they now have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, and they're spending their entire life living for him. And it's magnetic to you. If you're a Christian, it's real simple for us. If the Lord is God, follow him. If the Lord is God, if Jesus is in fact the risen son of God, then you simply follow him. Whatever that means, wherever that leads, whatever that takes, that is the top priority in all of our life. Literally nothing else matters outside of Jesus. He influences, he informs, he inspires every single thing that we do. Because if we actually believe in God, and if God has something to say, and God has said something through his word, God has said something through his spirit, then the only reasonable response is for us to do whatever the heck it says, and he says, and his word says. Because if he's God, then you follow him. But if he's not, then don't. But don't say that you do and then not follow him. And not in perfection, but in a daily pursuit of obedience. Because come on, I hope we are an entire church full of people that are those one or two people. I hope that we are an entire church full of people who daily seek obedience, who daily seek dependency on God. I hope we're the type of people that God works through, that God moves through. In fact, here's the reality for most of our life, just to be really frank, there's an entire nation full of people who probably listen to God, but there's only one Elijah, which means that for all of us that are in here, there's not many Elijahs. There's not many people that God's ever gonna call Mount Carmel in front of the entire nation, do this thing, say this thing, and, all, and, and this extraordinary thing happens. For most of us, our life is Mount Carmel. For most of us, our life is this cumulative direction towards the glory of God that people look at. And not just for like a month of obedience or 12 months of obedience. I'm talking about like 120, 240, 360 months of obedience daily depending on God. Decade after decade after decade, you have driven your life into the rock that is Jesus. And followed him with absolute passion and abandon. And people look at you and can't describe why. But there's something magnetic about you. If the Lord is God, you follow him and you follow him every single day as best you can, knowing you will never be perfect, but you were never called to. You have a God who so loves you, he gave his son to die for you. His spirit now lives and resides inside of you and compels you every single day, compels me every single day to be more like him. We'll never have that mountain unless we have the obedience in the daily. And again, if you're here, you're not a Christian, trying to figure this whole thing out. Maybe you've been burned by the church, burned by Christians, burned by church leaders, you know, whatever it is for you. I hope you meet some folks 
who perhaps changed the way you think about God in Jesus, as you pull back the curtain and you see obedience and you see dependence over an extended period of time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for that the life of Elijah isn't this outlier in the kingdom that you all of a sudden decided one day to show up in a dude who you had never done anything through before. You progressively and continually called him to higher levels of dependence, higher levels of obedience, higher levels of faith, higher levels of sanctification, set apart for your use. And God, I pray that you would do that now through your church. You so love, you die for. And your spirit works in and through us. I pray that our lives would be the light. Our lives would be the Mount Carmel that people would look at and know, God, that you are real. And I pray for anybody in here who's struggling with faith, struggling with this idea of Christianity. God, would you work in such a way that you would just introduce them to one, maybe two, maybe three. God, maybe a church full of people who change the way that they think about you because they opened up the curtain, they saw on the stage of their life and they saw obedience, dependence. They saw a group of Christians who said they believed in God, who said they believed in Jesus and actually followed him. I pray that you would change their life. And it's in Jesus' name we would pray. Amen.